Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from three perspectives this week. I am Keith Foster. I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics, and I write the comics Three Protectors and Kadoja. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders and Milisanda for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Gary Hodges. I'm the creator, writer, and illustrator of the indie comic series D vs. M. Hell yeah. You know how, um, I don't know if either of you guys run, but when you run, you get like legacy medals. Like if you run a certain race, like five times, they give you a special rate. They give you a special medal. They not only give you the medal that crosses the finish line, they, you then get another one. So Gary, you're on, I think you're on legacy medal now, man. Congratulations. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah. I expect it in the mail before before the holiday, if possible. <laughs> in the That's mail funny. or in your imagination. One of those two is going to happen, and we'll find out which. Definitely uh, one of the two. I will draw the medal. Whoa. Because we know that I have such an artistic skill that it's going to be an amazing medal. <laughs> and I will draw a conclusion that that medal will not show up. <laughs> and more importantly, the reason that we have Gary on is because this is part one of our two-part year-end extravaganza. This episode in particular is the holiday episode. And true to form from last year's holiday episode, what we are going to do is we're gonna talk about what we did this week, but then we're gonna do a little bit of a holiday roundtable. We don't need to go in depth the way we did last year because last year we established favorites. So this year and in ongoing years, we're gonna establish what this year looks like for us in terms of the holidays. So again, Gary, it's a tradition. It's become a tradition. We're now on our second time through. So it's a recurring thing, man. How do you feel? I feel great. I feel great. And you know what? It's the holiday season is a little infectious. I have to admit, I've got some string lights out in the living room. Going to be getting a tree on Monday. And now I'm doing the holiday episode with the guys. Like it feels like this is happening. Christmas is happening. This is great. I actually threw on my Slayer holiday sweater, which will show up in the pictures for this episode when we do that still that Scott always posts. But yeah, man, I've got my Slayer sweater and I got to say, it does make me feel a little more holiday. There's something about demons ripping open a Christmas (laughs) gift like they would be ripping open a person on the cover. This is actually a flip on their cover of Hell Awaits, Um, except these demons are tearing apart a Christmas gift. So that's Slayer's gift to everybody. Christmas awaits. And the holidays are infectious. And uh, I have HPV. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have HPV. (laughs) Scott, for the record, I didn't know I had it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a little late now. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. So, hey, we should get out of the way what we are drinking this week. And we're going to make this nice and easy. We are all drinking, as promised, the tiramisu pastry stout from Campanology Brewing. Um, It is a Wisconsin brewery, but damn it, Trader Joe seems to stock it everywhere. So for those of you that did heed our our siren call a week or two ago, hopefully you have your tiramisu. It is 22 ounces of 8%. So that's a pretty solid power rating. And and this podcast is going to get really good at some point. Well, who are we kidding? It's the five (laughs) fucking star experience right now. But imagine how many stars it's going to be once once we start to get this liquid flowing. They're going to need a new system. They're going to yeah. need to add a star. <laughs> These amps go to 11. Exactly. exactly. The new star will be sloppy. It'll be a sloppy star at the end. <laughs> <laughs> a drunk star that's kind of tailing off. Right. Like, side. Um, all right. So with that, let's talk about some, some stuff that we did last week. So Scott, you go. Oh, so Gary, 
You go first, man. Since you're the guest of honor, what was the first thing you did this week? Well, thank you. And by the way, thank you for having me once again. Um, So I have been drawing D vs. M 1979, the third comic in the D vs. M series. Um, That has been my life for 42, 43 weeks now. Uh, Because, and I can do that math in my head because I do a page a week and I'm on page 43. Therefore, Mm -hmm. if I carry the one, add the three, do the long division. I think that's 43 weeks. Um, Hashtag math. Yeah. Yes. Look at that. College education. College yeah. education. So um, it's going. How would it, what would I say? I think the last time we talked, I described this as being sort of the stage of a long run where the rhythm of it has sort of hypnotized you into autopilot and you're just sort of doing it. You can't say you're loving it. You can't say you're hating it. It's just happening. It's just Mm -hmm. at once a week, like clockwork, you're starting a new page, you're finishing it and you're starting a new page. Uh, I can say now, several weeks later from whenever the last time we talked, I am feeling exhausted and I'm scanning the horizon for the finish line. I can't wait to hit the finish line. I, it's just, I'm dying, dying to get there. Uh, I'm feeling good about the work I'm doing. I am confident in saying that it's the best looking D versus M I've done yet. Um, and I think it's, it's just overall the best D versus M I've done yet. I'm excited to get it done and get it out there. Not just because I'm weary. Um, but, and this was the thing that I was, I was curious about it. It, it generated a lot of conversation. This actually wasn't this week, but it was two weeks ago, but it's sticking with me. And I wanted to get your guys' reaction to it, especially Scott's, because I suspect it's an, a uniquely artist thing. Um, so I was chipping away. I was just coming off a few weeks of a particularly difficult stretch of drawing. Uh, there's a multi-page sequence toward the end of D versus M 1979 that's testing me uh, as an artist. That's technically complicated. It, it's conceptually complicated. There's moving parts. It's it's a little difficult to do it to make sure that the reader is going to be able to follow what's happening. And it's probably it's me stretching more than I typically do in a D versus M where it's uh, a little more stylish, a little flashier, maybe, okay? Uh, I was, so it's been grueling. (laughs) And this is one of those things where each week, I listened to you guys talk about Parkinson's Law in a recent uh, podcast. This is not, Parkinson's Law has not been applying in these past few weeks. I have been limping across the finish line each week with each page. I've been barely finishing. And usually, actually, for the past month or two, usually about a day late. Like I've been a solid day or two behind where I typically want to be. So uh, probably exhausted from that, probably a little frustrated from, we've all had this experience, kind of ramming your head against the wall over and over and over, trying to do the best you can on something that's difficult for you. For some reason, I had a moment where there was one panel in particular where I had a vision of it in my head. If I was completely, completely 
unburdened, if I had no day job, if I had unlimited time, you know, if I could do, if I could just make this as the best I possibly could, I had a vision of what that could look like in my head. And I knew that the reality of week to week comic drawing and comic drawing is that's not actually an option. Like you're doing it within this, these constraints. And, and I think anyone who's drawn, com draws comics can appreciate this. It's, it's almost, it's just part of the whole process. You know, if you're doing a page a week or a panel a day, like Scott, whatever it is, it's implied at the best you can do within that constraint the best panel you can do within a day if you're Scott. And it's not even within a day, it's after you go to work and setting aside all your social and family obligations and like all that kind of stuff, the time that you have left, now the best panel you can do with that amount of time. And that's not even getting into how good it can be, you know, within the limitations of your own ability. You know, that's just the time limitation. Right. And we all understand that. But I had that moment where I looked at it and I had this vision of the comic if I was completely, if I had unlimited time. And it really bummed me out. And I can't, I can't explain why it hit me all of a sudden. I think it was because that constant doing the best you can in a week and falling a little bit, you know, knowing you could do better than, than you're doing, but that's just the name of the game. I, all I saw, I was looking at all the pages I had done and I saw this gulf between what I had and what conceivably I could do if I had all the time in the world and all the ability in the world. And I was just appreciating that gulf and it really bummed me out. And I, it's like, you know what? I need a break. <laughs> I took two days off to draw my holiday card. I stepped away from the comic for a couple days. Uh, spoilers, I'm fine now. And like, I just needed a little bit of break and I'm, I'm back in it. But it was an interesting experience. I was talking to my girlfriend about it. She's a classical musician. And she seemed a little baffled and confused by this idea of something being good enough to move on. Because that's not, if you're a classical musician, that's not the name of the game. You're, you're shooting for perfection. If you're a ballerina, you're shooting for perfection. If you're an actor, you're trying to get the best performance. If you're a writer, you're trying to find that perfect turn of a phrase. But I think as comic artists, you, you understand, like, none of these are going to be your gallery piece. Like none of these panels are you going to say, this is the ultimate expression of my drawing ability. This is the best drawing I could conceivably ever do. This is, this is like the best drawing I've ever done in my life. The third panel on the 15th page. Like that's not, that's not what you're doing. But I had never really thought about that before. And I was wondering, especially Scott, both of you had like your reactions, but especially Scott, like what your reaction to that is. Number one, comics normally normally are on a monthly basis so mm -hmm. that's something i think a lot of people forget it's like yeah it's an art form but it's also a job you have to get this done in a certain amount of time and we don't have the ability or the extra time to keep fucking around with a panel until it's absolutely perfect we just the luxury of that does not exist for a comic book artist if that is your mindset when you go into making a comic book you'll never get this comic book done i have multiple friends um, one in particular, I feel like they're hamstringed by this, this, honestly, it's a disability for them. Like they have to perfect the panel and they have, I've known them for like eight, eight, nine years. They have one comic book out and 
And it's fine. The comic book's good, but it's not like this is a fucking Mona Lisa. You know what I mean? It's just like it took you that long to do it and it's solid, but it's not like the comic book of the year. You know what I mean? So it's just like the more you do books, the better you get at them. And if you get hamstrung by one panel and it's not looking the way you want it to look, okay, I don't I don't really know what to tell you because I mean I can't I, I wish I knew the artist who said this. And basically it boils down to, I see what I do did wrong. I'll do better next time. Right. I'll, I'll do better next book. That's a much healthier way to think about it. Yeah. Yes. And, or to be able just to say like, it was the best I could have done given the circumstances. Right. And, and also what you were saying is the idea of what's in your head based off of your ability. What's that look like? It's maybe somewhere in the middle. So it's just do the best you can, like like you said, do the best you can, get it to where this is good enough, or I'm happy with it, which I feel is the same thing, but in a much much better way. You know what I mean? I'm happy enough with this. I think I can move on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if I would have gone before Scott, I would have said a lot of the same. Well, I'm going to say stuff, and it's going to be right in the same wheelhouse as what Scott said. So number one, uh, I... I, I brought out my pencil and was like writing frantically. Um, stepping away is the right call. Uh, that was totally the right thing to do. I can totally relate to this for music because, you know, I'm in a band and have done a ton of music, you know? And, and I think even if you expand it to writing, to, um, to acting, to performing, they strive for, for, for perfection. But some nights they just don't feel it. And, and the difference in them and us is that we get to revise. They don't, right? If they have a shit performance and, and I have acted on stage too, like sometimes you have bad performances. Sometimes you can't sustain that energy. And there are days where you feel it and, and every, every line comes out right. Um, and, and all that good stuff, right? What's the line? There's a loopy fiasco song, a superstar where he talks about it and he goes through like the ideal performance. Right. And it's like, you know, and oh God, it's just a cool little run. I'll, I'll look it up later, but yeah, it's really neat. And, um, and that's kind of, you know, those nights where it's all flowing, but sometimes it's not, you have the ability to revise, which makes it harder because you can't just let it flow out into the ether and then be done with it and be like, ah, you know, I'll do better next time. Like a stage actor has to. Like your girlfriend has to, right? They can be like, I fucked up, but all I can do is address the next performance. That's true. It's, it, that is an, another kind of unique difference with some, like I would say performance art and the kind of art that we're doing is when we do it, in theory, it's existing forever. Where performance, like if you're a singer, an actress, or, you know, a musician, something like that, it goes out into the ether and it's gone. There's not a permanent, you're not necessarily making, it's, it's not like you're in the recording booth. Mm -hmm. That would be different. That would be the same kind of thing where it's like, this needs to be the best version of this we've ever done, you right. know, like, because it's going to be fixed. If you're performing, you can go out there, you can do it. It's not your night. doesn't come together. You didn't rehearse as well as you wanted. Whatever the thing is, it's fine. Next time, next time. Yeah. I think with that, like writing and drawing, especially you feel this, this weight of having to live with, you know, these choices. Mm-hmm. The question that popped up in my head was, is it about a time constraint or is it about a piece of art not achieving the mythic, the, the perfection that you had had in your head? Because that happens all the time. That happens to everyone all the time. You know, I remember telling somebody 
that when you look back at like Big Pimp Jones songs, only two have ever come out exactly like I thought. Two. This is hundreds. We've done hundreds of songs, not counting like live recordings and, and stuff like that, right? Like you yeah. just, they never quite come out perfect. And to and that gets to Scott's point of like, look, perfectionism is the key to not getting anything done. You yeah. just got, you know, and, and maybe what that means is that your idealized version of the page never existed in the first place, you know, and, and this is the version that you have to move up off on, you know, and again, you can, you can keep on retweaking it. Right. And, you know, you made me think of this thing that, that uh, I remember reading a long time ago. Anytime you hear a Whitney Houston song on the radio, that is probably about 15 vocal takes stitched together. And that doesn't even count the 35 vocal takes where not a single note made it to the live thing. And it's like, yes, Whitney Houston was a megastar at the time and was, you know, would go on to make albums that sold 10, 15, 20 million copies. So that's one way of doing it. But, you know, you could also make the argument that, you know, like if I wanted to, if, if you gave me, if you said, Keith, you must listen to Whitney Houston right now for 30 minutes. What are you going to listen to? I'm picking a concert. Because yeah. I want to hear the mistakes, you know, and and I want to enjoy those mistakes. And I know this gets into something, Scott. I know this is like a meandering thing, just like you said it would be. This kind of gets into like what Scott and I have talked about sometimes in this idea of master editions. Where's the line where you stop? You know, my line, now I'm limited by budget and the fact that I can't draw anything. You know, my line is in a different place than Scott, but that may be a blessing because it allows me to put my hands off it and move on to the next thing faster. You know, so it's, it's, everything is always on a continuum. Right. Right. I think the, I I think the idea of perfection of the image that you've seen in your mind, like, like capturing that onto paper, the screen, whatever you're doing. Honestly, I think that is a lifetime's worth of drawing that you would have to do to achieve in my, in my estimation, the fact that Keith said, I have two songs that came out exactly the way I thought they should come out or the way I envisioned them is amazing. You got two of them already, you know, and that was Keith as a younger man that, you know, back when he was in his band. So the fact that he got two, it's just like, wow, that's fucking amazing. Like, I don't know that there's, there might be a couple of images that's pretty close to what's in my head, but it's still not exactly what I saw, you know, or like if I throw down a sketch and, and, you know, I, I lay out, you know, most of it and and it comes out. It's like, I'm happy with that. Like, I don't know. I guess, I guess that is the vision that was in your mind. Like whatever you're throwing down on the paper. Like, I don't know. I'm it's, it's a little difficult, I guess, because when I'm thinking of my panels, I'm reading the information, I visualize it and I throw it down. And so I don't know that I have a perfect image in my head of what that looks like, but I have a layout, I have a composition. And then when I throw the sketch down, the thumbnail down, I'm like, yeah, that looks pretty good. I like that. And then I work on top of it. So it's not necessarily this thing that I have envisioned in my head. There's a couple of things that I've not drawn yet. And I have a good idea. And the the epicness of those images are in my head. So when I do finally go to draw those, I'm curious what that's going to look like, if I can get that in my head. But I don't know, when I'm working interiors, it's a little bit different. You know, it's like the, the images in my head are basically spout, splash images. It's like these giant reveals. And those are the things that are standing out in my mind. But when I'm working interiors, it's it's not necessarily that. 
you know, I, I don't, I don't think I have that same vision. Is that, is that your, your thing when you're doing uh, interiors, Gary, are you like, do you have clear visions of what they look like or are you writer Gary threw it down and then now you're thinking about it or since you're the writer and the artist at the same time, when you conceptualize the scene, do you have a clear image of what it is or do you have an, a general idea? It, it varies wildly. I mean, it, it can it can run the gamut. I, I think there can be panels. There are panels that I thumbnailed in the writing stage that I had a very clear picture. This is exactly how I want this panel to look. And the finished panel is exactly what the vision was. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are times where I'll write something in the script where it's like, I have no clear idea of what how to draw this or you know what is the best way to draw this or at least an option i'm ready to go with to commit to like it's going to look like this where i won't even thumbnail it i'll just leave a space in my my page planning for a panel where it's like i'll some this will be happening here i don't know how it'll look but this will be happening here i do the same thing all right like i'll know like uh in in second shift 10 the characters are going into a lab and I have no fucking clue what it looks like. And so yeah. I'm thumbnailing, I just wrote lab. And, exactly. <laughs> and then I just went to the next panel. I'm like, I, I don't know. Or I'll leave myself something where I want, I want to have room to be creative on the day I'm drawing. And usually that's something like a fire, an explosion, a kind of a violent gory scene. Like I, you know, something like that where I'll just write like, you know, someone getting hit with ray gun i'll just write that in the panel it's like and i was like i'll i'll have fun doing that on the day of to me like when i came away from it once i got some distance from it i took a couple days off drew my i i have a tradition not tradition but every year i draw my own holiday card i drew it this year you guys will be getting it in a couple weeks or something um hopefully before christmas but it's already drawn and ordered but did that and that was just those two days were enough where I was like, all right, I feel, I feel rejuvenated. I feel like my head's back in the right place. But in trying to think about it ever since, like, what do I think happened there? I think there were a lot of things happening there, but I think the, the biggest thing was, and this is a conversation I have with other artists all the time, and I think you'll both agree. In the whole conversation about what makes an artist good or bad, like is talent inborn? Can you learn to draw if you're, you know, no good? Or is there natural talent? How important is natural talent? Blah, 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 blah. Generally, I find a lot of that less important in terms of predicting whether someone's going to be good or not than your ability to self-critique. I think that is the ultimate thing. And that is the thing that I really do believe some people are just apparently incapable of doing like they just can't objectively look at their own work and see shortcomings, failings, problems, whatever, like anything they do, they think looks great. That's mm -hmm. a problem. I think you're never going to be great at anything. If that's how you react to your own work, yeah, you'll never even be good. Exactly. Exactly. You're never going to progress. I think to get better, if you're a growth oriented artist, you need to be able to look at your some stuff and imagine it plus one. How could this be a little better? Now, this and this is critical. It's kind of like fire. A little bit will keep you warm, will cook your food, is nice and pretty to look at. 
too much will burn your house down. <laughs> and so if you're looking at things all the time and saying like, this is garbage, I can imagine 18 ways this could be five times better. Mm -hmm. Like that is, that's where it's gone too far. The fire is now raging through the house. You need it just, you need to be able to kind of channel that and funnel that into how could this be a better version than the idea I'm going with right this second. And that is often going back to Scott's question about how clear is your idea of, you know, your, your visual idea of this book when you're writing it. Sometimes when I'm stuck and I don't know, like, what should this panel look like? It's a weird thing. I can't explain how it works, but I will sit and close my eyes metaphorically or not and say, if I saw a great version of this by another artist, what does it look like? And then like a picture pops in and it's like, that's how you do it. Just like that. I don't know why that works. I, that's, it's like magic, but it's like, how would insert artist you really admire? How would they do this? And mm -hmm. then you get the idea, then you get the breakthrough. I think again, a little bit good fire. You're, you're roasting, you're some bacon <laughs> too much. And now the whole place is burning down. Yeah. I mean, I think what you've talked about, what we've talked about, is relevant for all creators. I think we all go through it. You are brushing up against, I was looking back at my shelf to make sure my good friend Victor Vaughn is up there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what this is. This is about getting an equilibrium with your inner critic, knowing those times where your inner critic is saying this is bad and needs to get better versus this time, these times where your inner critic just needs to shut the fuck up because you need to move on. And like, it's good and again, there, there's no there's no way to figure that out. You know, again, the standard adage that, that I've given is always you 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 realize that a change doesn't make anything better. It just makes it different. Right. But you still have to have an internal barometer for all those things, too. So, I mean, it's cool that that it's shitty that and during those two days, Gary, I'm sure it was really shitty. But, you know, com comedy is tragedy plus time. So now <laughs> now you're able to. To, to walk away from it and you did all the right stuff and i think it all makes sense and again like we always strive for, for perfection um but that's it's just an ideal in a lot of cases it's a cliche but it, it was a growth experience yeah. it was painful the day it happened like that evening looking frustrated wrestling with this panel being frustrated being able to picture a version i could do if i was like going to take a month on a page versus a week like being able to just being able to really clearly visualize how this could look if I was just like, uh, you know, the monster, I'm blanking on his name right now, the monsters guy. Um, yeah, if you were Barry Windsor Smith. Yeah, Barry Windsor Smith. If I'm going to take 30 years to do D versus M, how could it look? Like I had that vision in my head. and it was That like, was oh. what I was thinking when you said, well, if I had a month to do on page, I was like, that's like Barry Windsor Smith. <laughs> right, right. And that's not, and, and that's the thing, like I said, from the beginning, I had done the math. I don't want to make this my life's work. I want to get out comics at a reasonable kind of every other year rate, you know, right. and I've got three more to do after this. I don't want to be doing this until I'm 70. Like I want to get them out and move on to other creative things. Yeah, totally. So, and as I, you know, said in the beginning, it's all implied. We all understand. You don't want to be writing a novel for 40 years. Like Scott, you don't want to be drawing your comics for 40. Like you want to get them out, which, and you have, you don't want to quit your job and you don't want to shave your head and live on the street drawing comics. Like you want to like, you know, do this with some balance. Therefore sacrifices are going to be made. Therefore it's not going to be the ultimate expression of your talent or ability. 
And that's fine. But for some reason in that moment, it got me down. And like I bounced out, feel good now, but it was an interesting experience and it caused me to think about it. And I, I think it, it, if nothing else, it was useful just for the little aha moment of like, oh, other artists aren't really like this. You know, they're not necessarily having to make this kind of weird devil's bargain with time. Mm -hmm. uh, when I, when Mary, we were, I was talking about it with her over coffee at breakfast and she, and somehow I was talking about the drawing I'm doing on this comic. And she said something like, yeah, but you feel like D versus M 1979 is, is the best work you've ever done. I was like, no, <laughs> like, no, no, it's like, 25%. Like I was, I was shocked. She would even suggest it. I wanted to go and drag out my portfolio and show her like, no, 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 this is what I can do. You know, if I'm just like, un, just unleashed, like, no, this is like me trying to do a page a week. Yeah. No, you said that other artists aren't hampered with the time restraints, but the thing is they are, because a lot of those artists are monthly artists. So they have, probably oh. just the same amount of time, if not less. I would get. say, oh, comic artists, I fully agree. I mean, other kinds of uh, creatives. Like, creative. Oh, okay. Like oh. if you're a photographer, you're searching for that perfect shot, you right. know, and you'll take all the time you need to get it. Yeah. And burn all the film. And, right. And exactly. And that, yeah. That's, okay. I hear yeah I mean, on, on some level, sure. But I mean, you also can't stay there forever. If you're, if you're right. photographing wolves in the fucking Arctic, you know, you can't count on that wolf to stay there, you know, so <laughs> right. There, there is, there is a finite degree of time. Sorry, Scott, did you have something else? No, yeah, that's perfect. No. All right. Hey man, that was Gary. You, you promised a whopper and you, and we had a whopper for the first thing. So let's go to Scott, man. What was the, what'd you do this week? You know, I had, I was working on the next page of sh second shift. And as I was working on that first panel in this particular panel, um, Eddie is looking down into a, uh, a display case at comic books and it's like rare comic books. And there's this like action comics equivalent in our world. It's called man of action. And he's going to be looking down in this case. Right. And I'm just like, okay, what does this cover look like? Okay. It's going to be somewhat of an homage to action comics. Number one. Right. But with Superman, I was like, what does that look like? Huh? Oh, yeah, I think I have a good idea for it. And this is going to appear in multiple panels in this comic book. Hey, I'm just going to draw the cover and then I'm going to copy and paste it into those scenes. Right. And mm -hmm. so that was my diversion this week. Instead of working on a page, I was actually working on that cover and I managed to knock it out. And uh, it was really fun to do. It's like it's like homage mixed with parody in a way like it's. It's like it has some of the background characters of Action Comics, number one, or foreground and mid character uh, background characters. And, um, you know, the superhero is not doing the Superman holding a car thing. He's doing something else. It was a nice diversion because like Gary was saying with this particular issue of of D versus M, I'm running into a bit of a problem. So usually with the slack method, when I bounce around. I'll get in a groove enough to go like, okay, what's what's the next page I want to do? You know what? I'm I'm feeling in the mood to tackle something a little bit more difficult today, and I'll do that. I didn't do that. I haven't been doing that. So what I'm running into is a bunch of fucking snakes in a burning building. 
And so we're in the second half of the issue. And I'm like, oh, man, each page that I do is going to get much more difficult than the previous. And um, luckily, as as I'm doing these, I'm able to just move forward and knock them out. And, it, and it's, it hasn't been a problem. But the same thing that you are facing in D versus M, I'm facing in second shift. It's just like, man, I just have a whole bunch of complicated uh, panels that are going to force me to think and and adjust from my layouts, my initial layouts. It's like, no, this panel needs to be a different angle, you know, whatever the case may be. So it's just, it's kind of interesting, kind of frustrating, but so far, like just thinking it, I, I should say, thinking about the pages to come is a little frustrating. It's just like, oh man, this is going to be, this is going to be a rough go of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I am nicely into the second half of the issue. So, so I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. And, um, oh, I had mentioned in our group chat, one page that I was dealing with one panel specifically where I was like, Oh, okay. I'm gonna knock this out super fast. And no, no, it's, it's, uh, it was a pain in the ass. So yeah, dealing with that kind of stuff and just like realizing how much more time that you have to put in that page than you initially thought it, it really saps the week and much like Gary, where you're like finishing maybe a day late or just at the barely squeaking by that finish line on that, on that Sunday, I'm doing the same thing at the beginning of the week. I think this is home run, knock it out three, four days tops. And I'm not, I am not uh, doing that. It's like, Oh no, no, you're working the whole week on just this page. So um, I am typically doing a page a week. And I think that's been the last couple of weeks um, that I've been facing that element, same element. So it's funny because this is the second music thing that that's come up now in my brain. You're reminding me of when I used to do vocal takes because again, Big Pimp Jones is an instrumental funk band. Before we were an instrumental funk band, we were a live funk band where I rhymed. And so inevitably, when I would go into the studio and I would record vocal takes, sometimes I would see a song. I'm like, that's the hardest one. I got to sing on that one. I'm going to do the easiest one. And then I'd fuck that up. (laughs) And that's the worst because you're like, this is supposed to be the fucking easy one. And it's taken me forever. So, you know, it's, it's a combination of just having shit go bad. That's part of it, I think. Sometimes shit goes bad. You know, like in my case, I knew damn well that it was an easy song that I was just fucking up because I was fucking up. But I think it's fair to say that misestimation factors in too, because odds are when, when you thought the page was going to be easy, you forgot something, you left out something in your brain and then you got into it and you're like, Oh, there's something more here. And I should have thought of that. And I didn't. And, and that, misestimation can sometimes lead you into thinking that, you know, you're having a hard time with something easy. I can say 100%. That's usually when I've done a miscalculation, it's that, that there was something about the page that I thought, oh, this will be a cakewalk. And then in the actual doing of it, like I actually, you know, pen to paper, you know, metaphorically, Mm -hmm. since I'm working digitally, you realize like, oh, this hadn't occurred to me in my head. Like, there's no way you can think it through that completely. For example, <clears throat> and this is the sequence that, you know, I've been struggling with. It's a, it's a scene where it's a, 
it's basically a pitch black room with only two very strong sources of light. There's an open door with a lit hallway outside of it. And then there's a character who has a light source. That's something that's very easy just to visualize in a cinematic way. Like, all right, dark room. One person has a flashlight. Basically, there's a lit door. Like, Uh, I I can sort of In my head, they had raver glow sticks. (laughs) (laughs) Or that, sure. Spoiler alert. Come on, Gary. (laughs) Yes. But then when you get to draw, (laughs) for those at home, you're not be able to enjoy (laughs) Scott's rave party. The express... The, yes, Scott's the this the the dance stylings of Scott Lost. Um, so, but then you get to drawing it, and you realize then it becomes actually, in a way, very much a movie problem. Where it's like, if you like this naturally, if you just say this person's pointing a light, there's a light from this door. Seventy five percent of the time, you're not going to make visual sense out of anything that's happening in this room. So now you've got to stage it in a way that doesn't look staged. You know, but also is gives the reader just enough information to understand what they're seeing. And that's a very complicated drawing problem. And one example of how it's complicated, I would be dr- having characters that were basically silhouetted, which you think, oh, that's easy. Just, you know, draw a character and paint bucket it black. There we go. I'm done. Let's move on. No, no, no. You actually have to draw that entire character just like you normally would just to see where the shapes are, you know? So there's no shortcut here. In fact, you've, it's actually harder than drawing a well-lit room. Are you doing a uh, rim lighting on those characters as well? Yes. Which is also, now that's a whole nother yeah, thing. That's which yeah, you wouldn't exactly normally, why yeah. you need to draw the whole figures. Exactly. If you have that rim light, you need to see those shapes, how the light would curve around the body, etc. Precisely. And that ends up actually being vast, even though in your head you're thinking, oh, well, they're silhouetted. That's easy. In practice, it's actually twice as much work as if they had been in a well-lit room (laughs) because you're having to do that much extra intellectual heavy lifting and then the drawing to make that make sense to the reader. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Hey, man. Well, you guys had all these uh, very interesting challenges this last week, and I, I don't know if this is a challenge, but I guess it is in in my case because I've talked about this on the previous couple podcasts with Scott. That when I've been working on the novel and working on Three Protectors, this is for both things. I would sort of write a little bit, and then I'd get to a place where I had to stop, much like the misestimation thing. And I was like, I need to know more about a lot of things before I proceed. So. With each, you know, this this started as like a trickle about four weeks ago, and it's been getting more and more every week. And this last week has really been the week where I've, I'm not going to say I'm not going to write it all in the novel, and I'm not going to say I'm, I'm not going to write it all in Three Protectors, but I need to do a shit ton of research in both before I really go much further. There might be some little things I can do, just like there'd be a page that you guys can draw without core elements of what you are doing but you know it's worth noting that in my case both of the things that i am talking about are much more infantile in their development than what you guys are doing you guys are deep into like fully formed worlds for me like my novel is just like i i'm you know it's it's almost too much you know what i'm saying like when you can do anything in a book that can almost be crippling 
because you're like, I can do anything. So what the fuck do I do? <laughs> you know, I do have, I've been doing research and I expect that that research is going to go even more hardcore over these next few weeks in terms of getting into it. I mean, there's, you know, there's not much detail to give other than it's a combination in three protectors case. It's, it's Kung Fu movies, right? Again, there's a billion Kung Fu movies. So I can say Kung Fu movies without mentioning the specific Kung Fu movies I'm watching because Kung Fu has a ton of sub subgenres for the second novel. It's more about a fusion of research books, research podcasts, and books written during the time that my book is happening. My book is a historical fiction. It's a period piece. So it goes back a little bit. So that is wonderful and terrible because it's neat to, to write something in a previous era, but that means that you don't have a fluid knowledge of the era. You know, if I writing a novel right now is easy. We have a fluid knowledge of right now. Writing a novel in the past, you need to get into that fluid knowledge of the past. And the only way to do that is through research or even better through fiction of the era, because that's really what's going to tell you how to do a research is just going to be little snapshots, right? It's going to tell you the war of 1812 happened. Okay, well, what was it like to be on the battlefield? You know, what was it like to wake up that morning knowing you were going to fight or whatever it's going to be? Again, I just pulled that. I pulled, <laughs> I pulled that out of my yet another, another miss for people. I swear to God, we should just upload this video to call Scott. <laughs> Spoilers, out. everyone. <laughs> Keith's novel is about the War of 1812. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, Scott was doing his best Skeletor there. <laughs> but, <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, so so anyway, so that's kind of where I am. I don't know how much discussion there is over it, but that's the part where I am where where the speedometer on both of these properties is going way, way down. and uh, and as because it needs to, it really needs to go way, way down so that I can inform myself more of the era that's going on in in both cases, right? The world in in three protectors case and the era in the case of the novel that I'm working on. I mean, this uh, my only, well, my my initial reaction to that is D versus M has so far been very period, mm -hmm. not distant past, but it's like 70s, 90s. You know, it's at least a generation or two before now. And um, that's something that you guys have talked about, I think, quite a bit with research where it's almost like the fire analogy. Maybe I've had too much of this 8% beer, but it's like the fire analogy where a little bit is good. A lot will burn your house down. A little bit really can get ideas going. It really gives you a feel. You start being able to add these little touches that will really kind of stand out and be fun for readers. Mm. Too much, and now basically you're a professor you know, getting ready to write a book about the era, and that's not really gonna help your, your piece of fiction. Right. Yeah, exactly. You you don't want to get stuck in in that um, research to the point where your book just sounds like history. You know, yeah. you, you want to you want to have just enough in there where you it sparks an idea and it's a tangent you can go off on and create your own. But the more you read, the more you get bogged down in that reality and it might affect your creativity moving forward. Yeah. To, to and, and to continue the fire analogy. Um, my novel is like a caveman clicking rocks together right now. Like that's the level of fire I am. That's thing number one. Thing number two is this. That's the real period piece. Yeah. 
Do you know what this is? The sound of my little desktop Liberty Bell. Do you know what that signifies? I, I do not. We're in Philly? It signifies that this is empty. What? Oh, I have a t- I have this much left. Yeah. yeah. I have... I have, well, here, I'm going to pour the rest of this bottle out, and I'll show you. I have a little bit more than Scott left. I, yeah, there we go. I've really been moving through this tiramisu. Quite I have this deep. much left, so a oh, little right less on, than yeah. a glass. Okay, yeah, you're, you're pretty much neck and neck with Scott there. So, uh, so I mean, a little behind. But, uh, but keep in mind, too, I've probably talked the least. So, or Scott and I are pretty close. That's true. Him. So we've already gone one time around. Do either of you guys have anything that you want to mention? A second thing you did, a second thing you did this week, or do we just want to get to the the holiday extravaganza part of the holiday extravaganza? Okay, so I got something that I want to talk about before we get into the main topic, and this is it's it's a tale of woe. It's something tragic, and for anyone that has anything that you care about, please do not leave it in your car. Unfortunately, I got a message from my writer, Ed, uh, I think about a week or so ago, that his car got broken into while he was in the gym. And unfortunately, it was because his backpack was left in plain sight in his car. So they broke into the car to take the lap, the backpack, which had his laptop, his iPad, and his handwritten notes. So all of his writing... Uh, is more or less gone. Thank goodness he does a he does transfer a lot of his stuff onto like Google Doc, so he, that is available on the cloud for him. Those particular uh, you know scripts or or notes he had written down, but there's a lot there that he did lose. So you know it's it's great to have handwritten notes like that's something. Like initially, I was just like, oh Ed, you're so old, you write stuff down on paper, you know. But then when if your system crashes on your computer, those are just as gone. So like the, the fact that he has handwritten notes, it's just like after a while, I was like, oh, that actually is very useful because if we can't seem to find something online, he can just go consult his notes and then type it up real quick and then send it to me. So unfortunately, in this case, the car got broken into his backpack was stolen and all of his stuff is gone. So guys, this, heed, heed this warning. Put your stuff in your trunk. If you ever leave your vehicle, make sure you're taking anything that is valuable out of sight. And I do that every single time I leave my car. If there's anything that I think is worth something, I hide it just so they go, there's nothing worth breaking into this car for. So throw your shit in the trunk. Make sure your stuff's secure. And uh, it's such a bummer, man, because I know he takes like so many notes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, on on a couple related notes. I'm going to let Gary go first, then I'll give my related notes. Oh, well, I was just going to say, um, to me, also another lesson is back up your shit everywhere. Like I uh, had a hard drive fail on me. Actually, when I think about it, it's probably 15 years ago. It's been it's been a long time, but I still wake up at night with cold sweats, remembering (laughs) when my hard drive quit and everything on there is just now gone for good. And now to this day, like for example, when I'm working on my comic, it's not even when I finish a page, when I finish the day, first of all, I back it up to a detachable hard drive. And then I also upload everything to Google Drive. So I have shit everywhere. Like it's all spread out. So even if the house burned down, it's fine. You know, like there's that stuff is still somewhere. I think uh, all it takes is one 
terrible experience like that where you just lose every lose photos lose lose documents lose creative work where you suddenly is like okay you need to treat this like um how to restart the world after nuclear armageddon like how where do i hide things and squirrel things away so no matter what happens actually i haven't really lost anything at worst maybe a day's work or something so that's exactly what i was going to say i was going to say uh we understand that budgets are tight here in the indie comics world but if you have a gmail address then you get 15 free gigs of storage as a as a google drive that's attached to that gmail if you want to spend 99 cents a month i believe that's the price that goes up to 100 gig 100 gig i have been uploading stuff to google drive every day like gary said similar um for years and i'm still only at 60 gig and you can even do some maintenance in that because, you know, with me, sometimes I'll get that pull of gig because people will send stuff to Invader and then be like, I know you said five pages, but here's a whole PDF. It's a gig, right? This is this is goes back to what we talked about before on the whole like submitting to publishers. We're asking you for five pages for a reason because I don't want a gig of my hard drive devoted to your book that you shared with me, <laughs> you know? So, so anyway, um, so yeah. It's it's really affordable. It's it's good peace of mind. Again, same thing. If my shit got stolen, I would feel bad for the loss of the object, but I wouldn't feel bad for the loss of the creative stuff that's on the object because that's all been backed up. Yeah, and if your guys are working on like an iPad, iPad Pro, you're using Procreate, I have had the app itself fail me and I did lose a few pieces that were like, some were in their infancy and some were close to completion. And those really bummed me out, the ones that were close to completion. So um, I'm as soon as I finish a page, I upload it to my Google Drive straight away. And uh, like Keith said, I think it's like it might be a, a dollar, a dollar a month to two dollars a month. So you're looking at, you know, not that much. I'm on my I think I have 200 gigs is what I'm working with right now because I've already gone through that first hundred. So but it's really not that expensive. Google makes it very affordable. And on top of that, it's one of those companies that you don't have to worry about going anywhere. It's fucking yeah. Google. You'll never lose that drive. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The other beauty of Google, <clears throat> and especially, uh, well, actually, we, we would all benefit from this. It appears, if I recall correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, it will save versions. So like, for example, let's say I'm working on page 35, upload, like I finished for the day, upload page 35. The next day, do a little bit more work on page 35, upload it, it will save page 35, version one, version two. And so I can also go back, like if I decide for whatever reason, I need an earlier version of whatever I uploaded, all that's on there too. It's kind of a dream. And like both you guys said, it's super cheap. It's it's a crazy bargain. I think I'm also doing the 100 gig plan. I've uploaded all of D versus M, 75, 97, and now all of 79 so far on there. I have room to spare. I also use it for my day job, moving files around. It's just easier if like, if I need to take something home, just throw it on my Google Drive and download it at home or vice versa. It's great. Yeah, I switched from OneDrive to Google Drive because I think the cost was half. Mm -hmm. It was like, wait, this more universal drive is way cheaper? It's like, okay, let me get the hell out of here. Yeah. Yep. Hey, man. Again, that's that's a look. It's a hard lesson and it sucks. Um, but hey, 
if we can all learn something from it, then that might, that'll at least lessen the sting for anybody here listening. And hopefully Ed has a good memory and anything he lost time will come back even better um, in, in the second shift uh, going yeah. forward. Fingers crossed. So, hey, it's holiday time. So we are going to do a kind of abbreviated version of the holiday episode. Um, again, because as we stated at the top, we already went through our favorites last year. Our favorites haven't changed. Um, there is a little bit of an amendment section that we're going to do at the end, but we really only have two areas of categories. And uh, in a way, some of them, you know, I think they all tie to last year's categories in a way. But uh, so the first thing we're going to do is, Gary, I'm going to turn it over to you because this category was one that you volunteered. So we're going to let you intro the category and then you can go first. Well, I believe, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe you're talking about holiday tradition you have that has nothing to do with the holidays. And for example, so I had, to, I feel like, a, you know, I had to explain this a little bit to each of you, but I feel like everyone has something. If they really think about it, they have something that fits this. I have a friend who, for whatever reason, this is a perfect example, for whatever reason, every Christmas, the family sits down and watches Silence of the Lambs. That is a perfect example of it's a holiday tradition, has nothing to do with the holidays. Maybe it's not even that elaborate and weird. Maybe it's just something like we go and see a movie. That's not really a holiday thing, but you do it every Christmas, okay? Mm -hmm. Or whatever, every Hanukkah, every Kwanzaa, whatever your thing is. Um, in my case, it's nothing crazy. I think a lot of people will be able to appreciate it. Maybe they even share it. It's watching the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, if you were around when they came out, as I think we're all old enough to have been uh, aware of that, very conscious of that, seeing movies, they came out every December for three years. It was Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King, year December after December after December. And that just was enough to fix it in my brain as sort of a Christmas <laughs> A Christmas thing. So now for the holidays, if I have time, which it's quite a commitment time-wise. Oh, my my cat is chiming in. I apologize. But uh You're ready. if I have time, like yeah. two towers sucked. <laughs> watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy is a Christmas tradition of mine. It makes it feel like the holidays. And when I'm thinking about the holidays, when I'm anticipating the holidays, I think about Gandalf and and Frodo and and the Balrog and all that stuff. So, you know, it's funny because I was having a difficult time with this, and I was like, "Shit!" The only one that I have is watching Die Hard every Christmas. So, whether you fall on that's a Christmas movie or not, and like we talked about last year, I don't consider it a Christmas movie because it was not the main theme of Christmas in that movie. I don't consider that a Christmas thing, but I do watch it every Christmas. So um, I was having a hard time with it. And me and my girlfriend went down to hang out with my sister and her husband. He's fancied himself a bartender lately. He's like close to retirement, very young retirement at that. And uh, he takes on hobbies like crazy. And so his most recent hobbies is creating cocktails or, or learning how to make new cocktails. And so he'll post in the family group chat all these cocktails and we're like, hey, we'll come over. And so that's what we did yesterday, uh, Friday night. And I asked him, I was like, what is what is a tradition that you guys do that 
around the holidays that have nothing to do with the holidays. And my sister is very similar to you, but she watches Harry Potter every, every Christmas time, every December, she watches the Harry Potter movies. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, I figured out what mine is and it is a, it is a new one. It's a new tradition and it falls in line with getting organized for the new year. And my new thing, which I had already started this year is organizing my comic books. So I keeping them in alphabetical order and by, so the way I do my comics, cause I have an insane collection, I do it by company and then I do it alphabetically. So my image comics far outweighs any other comic book company. Like that's just the book. That's the company I picked the most of. Um, and I'm running into a situation where the bins, which they're collected are overflowing because I just don't have enough space and I'm buying more and more of those books. So um, I have a setup, which is, it's a Calex, it's an Ikea furniture situation. So look up Ikea Calex, I think it's K-A-L-L-A-X. And I have four by fours standing tall next to each other. So I have two rows of four on the top, two rows of four on the bottom. The two two rows on the top are current image comics. The two rows on the bottom are old image comics from when I was a kid that are more or less dead dead titles. Um, so I need to figure out a way to get more space in a very small room. And unfortunately, what that means is going through my old image comics, getting all of the books that I think I'll never look through ever, ever again, and putting those in boxes and throwing them into storage. I have a storage unit, so they can go there. And then that'll open up some space for the newer books, which are expanding and growing and taking up more and more bins. Um, so, yeah, that's my new thing for this year is trying to organize this comic room as much as possible. Unfortunately, me and my girlfriend at the at the moment are in a two bedroom condo. And that's what the second room it's it's my podcast studio and it is my comic room there. There is a very limited space and Books need to be cut, they need to be moved, and we need to figure shit out. So that's my new yearly tradition, which I plan on doing every December so we can roll into the new year with a nice clean room, nice clean house. Nice, nice. So I actually have a few, but it looks like Gary wants to chime in on the um, the comic collecting. Well, great answer, but I was going to say a nice clean room to refill over 2023. And Absolutely. I'll find yourself in the exact same situation a year from now. Okay. Gary gets it. That's that's why it's going to be an easy annual tradition because there's always going to be new shit and the room's always going to get overstuffed by December. Well, the hope is we can get a freaking house by the end of next year or something like that. And then we'll have – so we're going to try to get a four-bedroom. Um, and so like one for like a gym slash my girlfriend's office. And then second one is a comic room and then bedroom, and then guest room, maybe baby room. Like, who knows? Like, if that's in the cards, we'll see what happens. Um, so, yeah, we need a four-bedroom, and we need a backyard for these fucking dogs, because we got three of them. I hope we cannot, we can't go by this exciting, exclusive, making comics exclusive oh. potential baby room. <laughs> no, 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 nothing has happened. There's nothing, <laughs> nothing in the oven, uh, I should say, but it has been a... a uh, topic discussion topic sure breaking yeah. news everyone scott lost <laughs> expecting he's pregnant yeah, exactly <laughs> we're we're on the other side of it we're like the kids are getting old get the fuck out 
Right. Yeah. I'm old too, but I just started hella late. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. so, okay. I have a few. Um, I, I, I want to mention a few that have fallen by the wayside because, hey, why not? It, it's our podcast. We can do what we want. So one that I kind of wanted to say, but the McDonald's fucked up was the McRib. Because the McRib, I would always eat McRibs around the holidays because McDonald's would always bust that shit out right around Thanksgiving and let it go around the New Year's. However, this year, they decided to do a big farewell tour in October and it's no longer available. So, you know, I mean, no longer available. It's kind of like if you clap Peter, they, they're basically I, I'm I'm sort of annoyed at McDonald's because they're asking you to clap Peter Pan back to life this time. You know, and it's like, come on, man. Like, we know you, we know, like, I, I like the McRib. Bring back the fucking McRib. Stop. Stop being coy about it. The McRib is gone like Superman is dead. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah, exactly. Oh, who knows if we'll ever bring it back? Like your motherfucking bottom line knows that you'll bring it back. You know, people <laughs> eat this thing. Um, and then the other thing is that, well, I'll, I'll get to that in the end, actually. So I have two very subtle, tiny little traditions that I kind of conjured up from the depths. One is that, and some of these, this one brushes on holiday tradition, which is I love getting white fudge Oreos. If you're not familiar with these, they are only available around the holidays. They are Oreos dipped in white fudge. They are fucking phenomenal. And I have gotten at least two members of my family to convert to those bad boys. They're fantastic in the refrigerator. I had one before I had this tiramisu. Fantastic, right? So I think that counts, even though it's sort of holiday adjacent because it comes out for the holidays, even though it's not a holiday branded product. I'll um, allow it. I'll allow. Yeah, there you go. The, the the judges the judges are gonna are gonna let it go. Um, the other thing that's probably the most true one that I actually do, I can't say I do it every year, but I try to do it every year. Is that I try to hit golf balls at the driving range on Christmas Eve. That is that is a tradition that I did. So it it harkens back to I moved to California for the first time in two thousand nine. And I was alone for the holidays because what my parents decided was that I was going to fly back for Thanksgiving and then stay here and just have a Christmas by myself. Um, I actually went to a Laker game that day, Scott, that first oh. Christmas. It's a, I went to the Christmas Laker game. So I've done it once and now I can at least say I did it. And um, and then my parents ended up coming out like January 4th or something like that. Right. But that Christmas Eve, because I was alone, I was like. I'm alone. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of, you know, Christmas is going to be Christmas. The highlight is going to be a Lakers game tomorrow. Why don't I go hit golf balls? It's like 63, you know? So that's what I did. I remember hitting golf balls into the night on Christmas Eve. Um, and again, it wasn't quite Christmas East coast time, but it was getting there. It was like seven, eight o'clock, you know, Pacific. And I was just hitting golf balls into the lights, into the night. And it was really comfortable. And I enjoyed that. So I do try to do it either play golf or play or hit golf balls on Christmas Eve or Christmas. Um, when my father was around, we would always be in the same place. So I, I got to enjoy a lot of Christmas day rounds with my dad over the last 10 years. And uh, I'm going to keep it going this year. I'm actually going to play around on Christmas Eve. Um, and we think I'm going to do it with my wife, even though she's terrible at golf. So that's that's going to be really fun <laughs> for the people that are behind us. We're going to be waving motherfuckers through like all day. <laughs> right. Have you tried to get Eden into it? Uh, too many hobbies. Eden has too many hobbies, but it's funny you say that because I did take uh, my wife, Rachel, and the two and two of the kids. We went to Top Golf for my birthday a oh, couple right months. On. Oh yeah, and so I was fascinated because I wanted to see who took to it. 
And I swear to God, man, it took like four swings before Eden was like hitting, hitting it pretty good. And then a little bit later, Alyssa got good at it. So, uh, so yeah, man, I mean, I was actually, I was impressed because I, what I started to do was give them pointers at three different levels of skill, you know, cause it was like, okay, Eden, like you're hitting the ball really well. So let me tell you this, this, and this, and then she was hitting it even better. And like our family's super competitive. So that made the other two that made Rachel and Alyssa want to get better. And like, all of a sudden I look to the side and if it's not their turn on the top golf mat, they're over here, like working on their swing or they're videotaping themselves and studying video of them swinging. It's just hilarious. Cause we're all competitive and we all like being good at stuff. So, uh, so we'll see. So anyway, that's, that's, the closest thing I have a, to a tradition, but Pretty good man, that's a solid yeah, that's tradition. Not that's not bad, right? Um, but one other thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna start this. Um, so last year, you may remember that I ended a tradition, and that tradition was watching the Star Wars holiday special, which is sort of a holiday. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and last year I made the vow I'm never fucking I'm not doing this anymore. It's awful, right? right. So so I decided to implement a new tradition that I am two days into right now, which is the seven days of Kung Fu. So I am going to do seven Kung Fu movies across seven days leading up to Christmas every year. I'm fully behind this tradition. So what are the seven movies? It's going to be different every year. Oh. Do you have something in mind for this year? Well, I mean, I've already watched two of them. You know what I mean? Oh, I've already okay. watched them, um, but but unfortunately, I don't want to tell. I'll tell you what they are off air, but they are in the subgenre of kung fu that I am watching for Three Protectors. So I don't. I'll say it to you guys because again, it's a particularly interesting subgenre of kung fu. Um, oh, so right. yeah, I'm just going to keep on doing that. And this is like a pseudo bringing the bullshit, by the way. Gary Hodges, guess what showed up at my doorstep yesterday? Tell me. Oh, 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 don't tell me. It is Shaw Brothers Volume 2. It is Shaw Brothers Volume 2. It is Shaw Brothers Volume 2. So that is that is going to have a heavy role in the viewing over the next five days. Can the viewers at home hear me rubbing my palms together excitedly? Can you can you (laughs) you hear that? Can you? Yeah, we can hear ASMR. Did you did you (laughs) pre-order it as well? I did. I did. Okay. Hell yeah, man. Well, then then again, you can choose however many days of Kung Fu you want officially. Or well, not. it's interesting you said that because this was something I brought up in our chat. And I would like it if this became a Christmas tradition for myself. I'm uh, I acquired the 4K editions of Ghost in the Shell uh-huh. and Akira. Hmm. And I've been feeling like that's a pretty good double feature. That's a strong double feature. Some some Christmas evening with the lights on and the glow of the Christmas tree to watch those two back to back. I mean, I I'm I'm looking forward to it. Maybe that's going to be my my equivalent of your Kung Fu theater Christmas. Yeah. All right. Hey, we're, we'll well, we'll have to check in next year. So here's to uh, continuing traditions and starting new traditions. Um, so to that. That really leads us to to the final question, if you want to call it that, the final thing, which is just getting into a little bit of pop culture. Uh Oh, you know what? Scott, about two minutes ago, rang the Liberty Bell for finishing his and Gary just rang the Liberty Bell for finishing his. So we are now all. Hey, Gary, remember like 45 minutes ago where you said you were going to take it easy on this and you thought you were going to drink (laughs) half of it? Let me tell you something. I am feeling it. Uh, I'm I'm only like 144 pounds, guys. Like that's a big eight percent beer. Like I'm. Yeah. It it it's pumping through my veins. 
Yeah, I'm 196, and I feel solid. Like I have a nice little buzz going on. Like, yeah, like a my my, my very, buzz is not rate. nice. My yeah. buzz, my buzz is kind of it's kind of R-rated. Okay, okay, go ahead, continue. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Hey, let's let's put those buzzes to use, and let's. We already talked about our favorites last year. Our favorites are still our favorites. But what I wanted to talk about is kind of what you're feeling this year, what you're feeling at this Christmas. I want to point out we also we also trashed some things. And I was re-listening to last year's, and I think I have an epic takedown of Love Actually that is worth revisiting for anyone oh, <laughs> who likes or dislikes that movie. Okay. So it was not only our favorites, it was a lot of our least faves as oh, well. Oh, totally. Yeah, well, let's let actually let's do that. Let's do a holiday redo because I have a song that I have rethought my opinion on. So why don't you do Love Actually, if you want, and then I will talk about the song where I've changed my opinion or have you not changed your opinion? I no, I have not changed my mind about any of it. Love Actually is still a garbage movie. Uh, <laughs> Santa Baby is still the worst Christmas song of all time. Okay. Uh, so any uh, Christmas story is still a fantastic Christmas movie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, okay. I stand so, by all my decisions. Okay. So there's one decision of mine that I would like to reverse. And it's because, hey, a man can never stand in the same river twice because the river has changed and the man has changed. So much like, so 2022 saw me mellow my stance on a few things, right? It saw me mellow my stance on musicals. K-pop. saw me mellow my stance on the band BTS. And... Finally, at the Christmas season, it has seen me mellow my stance on Christmas rapping by the waitresses. Merry what? Christmas. Merry Christmas. I, I am now fine with it. I just, I, I was actually in a Starbucks the other day. I woke up early and I was enjoying some coffee and it came on and I was like, ah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like, you know, I mean, again, it's like the alt girl take on Christmas and all that stuff, but whatever, I'm fine with it. So yeah, man, I, I do want to reverse my hardline anti Christmas rapping stance. Scott, you're the expert here. Does this count as a heel turn? What is this? What is, what what just happened? <laughs> if you are if you were in a line with Keith in, on that subject, then yes, this would be a heel turn. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I take that. I, I, a heel turn would be Scott baiting us into Die Hard being a Christmas movie, oh, and this then is predicting himself that it was not a Christmas movie. This just is great. To- okay, so for you listeners out there, this was cut. Um, from the conversation. So last year, if you guys did not listen to that episode, the question was, it was, it was not a question that wasn't necessarily posed to us, but then it came about was, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? So I had already talked about how every Christmas I watch Die Hard. And the Keith asked the question, is it a Christmas movie? And Gary answered, no, it is not. Keith answered, yes, it is. And then he was about to move on. And I said, Keith, you didn't ask me. And he goes, no, you already answered. I was like, no, I didn't. I said, I watched it every year. It does. It doesn't mean I think it's a Christmas movie. And I, it isn't. And Keith was not happy about this answer because he felt bamboozled and hoodwinked. <laughs> and, and just, it, it was like, he got pickpocketed. He called and shenanigans for sure. He called shenanigans hardcore. So that is what he's alluding to. Yeah. And it was a fun conversation. I was bummed he cut it, but I'm glad we could bring it back up this year. Anyway, okay. So so I think it was it's it's always good to revisit uh past things that we still hate or past controversies that we like to have fun with or some things we've we've kind of changed our mind on. In my case, I changed my mind on one thing. But let's talk about this year, right? So let's talk about so there's there's basically four things here, right? 
um, a, and we'll go one by one, but just to lay it out there, a movie that you're particularly taken with on the good side this year, or a TV show or anything, perhaps a movie or a TV show that you're not feeling or that you just don't like, right? I mean, I I use the phrase that you're not feeling in the chat because I wanted to allow some some leeway, right? It doesn't have to be one you hate. It can just be one like, eh, not in the mood for it, right? You can be not in the mood for it or you can just not like it. And then the same thing with songs. Is there a song that has sort of defined the holiday season to you? And is there a song where you're like, I don't really need to hear that this year because I've had enough of it. So I'll go, Gary, I'll go first. Okay. I, I got to jump in here real quick yeah, while this is fresh in my mind. So yeah. mine is not something I've ever switched my stance on, uh-huh. but I think I, I think I didn't know this information last year when we recorded. Yeah. My girlfriend does not like baby. It's cold outside. And that's one of my favorite Christmas songs. Yes, it is. So she falls into the camp of it's, sounds date rapey or whatever and i'm like it was made in fucking 1842 what are you talking about you know it's just like she's being coy she doesn't want to be a hoe right. and and, exactly. and like well like what you put in my drink nothing bitch you a hoe you want to stay that's what's happening <laughs> exactly. that's what's happening you don't want to act like you are but you are you want to get you know, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, for me, for me, I do have a little bit of issue with that song because it feels like the kind of people that are outraged by that song, male or female, are the same kind of people that think like WAP is a song of female empowerment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's like, okay, so, so wait a minute. Wait, wait, just wait a minute. <laughs> like those two things don't really jive that well in my head, you know? So, okay. So yeah, you had a little bit of an addendum there. Um, yeah, I, I'm. Hey, I'm the same. I've I've not moved my stance, yeah. but I'm upset that that she dislikes the song. Yeah, and it's just like it's caused strife in our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Little, hey, you know what, Scott? Well, to to call back last year, or to call back whenever you talked about it, it's caused the kind of strife that would be a Hallmark movie because it would be this <laughs> disagreement that's not really a disagreement, and then at the right. end, it's like. Oh, let's both agree to just settle our differences on baby. It's cold outside and then it's Christmas. Yay. Oh, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> Breaking news, everybody. Put plans for the baby room on hold. <laughs> <laughs> Until sides have not resolved baby. It's cold outside conflict. <laughs> Very uncertain times in the lost household. Yeah, you, yeah. United Nations sending moderator. <laughs> right. <laughs> The baby's name has been locked in for a female as Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> Lost. <laughs> okay, so let's let's set this off. Gary, uh, we'll give you the guest to honor spot on this one. Okay. Um, pick any of those four and lead off. Good good movie show, good, bad movie show, Good move, a good song, bad song. Anything you want to say? I like your language of feeling. Uh, this year, I'm kind of feeling... So this, this movie is a movie that it was my second place choice. Last year, we picked our favorite Christmas movie. I picked A Christmas Story. It's still my favorite. I still love A Christmas Story. But my a close second, and it could have been my first if it just hit me on the right day, was the 1951 movie Scrooge. Uh, starring uh, Alastair Sim, which is like a crazy old school name. How many Alastairs do you know? But there's there's one at least. I, not not enough. Not enough. Not enough. But so that's a movie. It's mostly nostalgic. The first time I saw that movie, it's an old black and white movie of uh, telling of the Chris, uh, Christmas Carol. It's a very good version of it. It holds up really well. 
But I think most of my attachment to it is sentimental. So my family, my mom's side, and I can say this because I am of their kin, uh, it's a bunch of Scottish-Irish people. And their holiday tradition was basically to drink scotch into the wee hours and talk loudly and laugh at old stories. You know, like that. that, Great tradition. It's a great tradition. Yeah. But so when I was a kid, my brother and I were kids, like we would go to grandma and grandpa's house and they would talk and smoke all night laughing. And at some point, like, you know, you're eight or you're 12, you tap out and you crash on the couch. And I remember I was sitting in the living room on the couch, kind of half dozing, turned on the little black and white TV that my grandpa had and Scrooge was playing on Channel 8 PBS. And it was just one of those magical moments where the only light in the room was the lights from the Christmas lights and the tree. And it was this weird little black and white Christmas Carol movie. And I was just young enough, however old I was, I couldn't say, uh, where, and this sounds very dopey, but I think people appreciate this. You're young enough where you see something that's in black and white, or you see a silent movie and you think like, oh, this might have actually been filmed at the time. Like, this might actually be a Edwardian England, you know, like, or Victorian English movie, you know, when it was filmed in 1951. But you think like, oh, that's somehow more authentic to you, that it's old and black and white and a little weird. And I was just totally taken by it. I was taken by how weird it was, how very old fashioned it was. He had this crazy canopy Victorian bed with like the big comforters and everything. There was just, it was just other enough to be very magical to me. I was a little sleepy, I had the Christmas lights and it was just this little perfect Christmas movie. And it it was perfect enough that it stuck in my head where I've always revisited it. Not every Christmas, but often. And this year, I'm kind of feeling Scrooge. This year, I feel like I want to rewatch that movie with the same kind of scenario. I want the lights off. I want some Christmas lights. I want to kind of curl up on the couch and enjoy this weird old Christmas Carol movie. So that's the one I'm feeling this year. Awesome. Awesome. Scott, how about you, man? Is there anything you're particularly feeling or really liking this holiday season? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Gary, that was really solid. Um, it's it's a newer movie. I had only seen it for the first time. Oh, um. I guess it debuted last year. Um, so at some point during this year, uh, me and my girlfriend, we went to see Jimmy O. Yang live. Uh, he was playing in San Diego. He's, he does stand up. Really funny, really enjoyable. But before we did that, um, last Christmas, we watched his movie, Love Hard. And it's it's really good. It's just the standard rom, rom-com. The premise is... Jimmy O. Yang catfishes a girl on Tinder or whatever, right? Like whatever the generic Tinder they have. And she is so love struck by their conversation, how well they get along via the internet and text that she decides that she's going to fly out to where he lives to spend Christmas with him. And ta-da, the guy that she picked was not Jimmy O. Yang. So the parents open the door where he lives in their basement and uh funness ensues so it's a really fun rom-com and we already watched it in november and i'm going we're going to definitely watch it again in december it's just it's i that's actually become a holiday tradition um uh for the last couple of years for me and my girlfriend it's just we enjoy jimmy o yang his stand-up and everything and it's a really fun you know christmas rom-com to do uh, or to watch 
And so I, I encourage you guys to check it out. It is on Netflix. So uh, check it out there. It's called Love Hard. Okay. Okay. Well, that wrote it down. Nice, nice recommendation there. So, oh, oh, before we go, it also highlights the song "Baby, It's Cold Outside," where <laughs> the girl callback, where the girl also thinks the song is rapey. So they, there is a scene where the song gets rewritten, and okay. it's fun. The rewrite is equally as fun as the original. So I have no issues with the rewrite. Um, but yeah, check it out. Okay. Rock on, rock on. So for me, look, I'm taking, I'm taking a layup that I thought would get taken. And uh, and the only thing my wife and I have watched that's Christmassy, again, this is about what we're feeling this year, is the freshly minted, brand new on Disney Plus, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Oh, yeah. Which wow, I hadn't even thought of that. That's it's a good, good pick. It was I've watched it twice. Good. Yeah, quite good. Really fun. Hey, if you out there are listening and you haven't seen it yet, I'm not going to give anything away. It's fun. It's brief. 40 so or so minutes, right? Not including credits. And uh, it moves really fast and it's a good time. So I'm going to have to I check have it out. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. I'm yeah, curious. Man. Well, you still got time. So yeah, man, check it out. Um, the, all right. thing I, the thing I like about that special, without giving anything away, is it still manages to push the story along a little bit. So some some good tidbits in there that pushes it a little further. Yes. And uh, yeah, I'm sure they would do it in a way where if you watch the next movie coming out, you'll you'll be exposed to that information. Totally. Hey, why not yeah. watch it? Watch it on Disney Plus. There's a couple of there's two things literally that pushes the the storyline further. Yeah. Um, and one of which is a very movie. interesting reveal. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Uh, so, Scott, it's your choice. You can go on the board. You want to pick a uh, good song, bad song or bad movie? Good song, bad song. The, all Christmas related, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, and, and again, I'm just saying good, bad, but it's really you're feeling it. You're not feeling it, et cetera. Right. None of these are necessarily a statement of good or bad. Just, you know, not in the mood for it this year or are in the mood for it this year. Gary, why don't you go first? Let me let me hear what you got. And maybe I got something in accordance. Well, since we just did movies, I'll just switch to my not feeling it movie this year. Now, this yeah, is I, I, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm glad we're saying not feeling because I do not want anyone to mistake me. I do not dislike this movie. I actually have a lot of warm feelings about it, but I'm not feeling a Charlie Brown Christmas special this year. Mm. Uh, normally, I love the Charlie the Peanuts movies, uh, and especially it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. That's one of my all time. I that to me is Halloween, and like I have to watch that every Halloween. Halloween hasn't happened if I haven't watched the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown animated uh, special. Mm -hmm. When it comes though to the Christmas special, for what I don't know if this is going to be a permanent thing or it's just this year. I do. I still really love it. I love all those those Christmas those Charlie Brown specials. It's just a little mopey. It's just a little depressing. And I just, I, for some reason this year, I just, I don't want that. I want something more traditional, more classic, more, you know, like more sugary and sweet. And, and Charlie, that's Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown is a little sad. Charlie Brown is a little melancholy. That's part of it. This year, I'm just not feeling that. So I probably will not watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special this year. Maybe I will have it on in the background when I do a Christmas Eve thing and people come over if people want to sit and watch. But I think I'm more interested in throwing Rudolph on or something like that. There's just something about that Charlie Brown special. It's a little bit of a bummer. 
Yeah, I'm 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 right there with you, man. I can totally see that. Scott, you got anything? No, I don't think I do. Um, I've already watched Home Alone. I've already watched Die Hard. So I'm still hitting all my normal traditions that I do. Um, I don't really seek out anything that I don't normally watch for the most part. My girlfriend is kind of more in charge of that. She likes, she loves these Hallmark Christmas movies or these random Netflix Christmas movies that pop up. So um, I'm not one really to seek out anything new regarding that kind of stuff. I Like I said, I did watch Gardens of Galaxy holiday special twice. Um, I really enjoyed that. It's just like a good fun time. But yeah, yeah, nothing. I got nothing. How about you? Okay. So for me, my mother came to visit over Thanksgiving and a little over. So we sort of went through some special type things early because um, she's going to stay home for, for Christmas. And so as a result, you know, like the thing is, I'm not, my mom's not a sports fan. So I'm not going to just watch random basketball with my mother the way my family tolerates it. You know, I can be like, hey, I want to put basketball on. They're like, sure, cool. You know, so as a result, I kind of had to lower the water levels a little bit and check out something that I probably wouldn't have checked out otherwise. And that thing, again, you're giving me another layup for a movie that was released this year is the the new follow up to a Christmas story. Oh, I have that in my queue. So you watched it? I watched it. Yes. How, how was it? Um, so so what I think is that it's it's interesting. OK, it's not it's not terrible. I happen to think that the moments where it does its best are the moments that do not call back the original movie too hard. Interesting. Because the thing is that my Peter, opposite. Peter Billingsley, that's his name, right? Peter Billingsley. He's now a dad and he's trying to give a good Christmas to his kids. So they go to see mom and dad. And so they're kind of in the old house. So for me, the moments that I enjoyed the most were actually the moments that did not call back to the original movie. And I'm sure you can guess that that means the moments I like the least were the ones that felt like they just redid the thing from the previous movie. So it was, it was okay. I just, again, not feeling it is probably the best way to put it. You know, it just, it was anytime something came up that sort of, you could, you could almost feel the gravity of the old movie coming in and you'd be like, Oh, I know where they're going on this. And then they do it. And you'd be like, yeah, nostalgia, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. So anyway, so, I mean, watch it. It, it, it was fine. You know, again, I, I thought there were a couple of really inspired moments where the movie sets out to kind of be its own thing. And, and I know, look, this, this gets into that new versus nostalgia thing where I've made it very clear what side of the fence I'm on. I'm all, almost always on the side of fence of new, right? I'm not a huge nostalgia person. Um, and I thought this just dipped into easy wells of nostalgia a little too often. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll still, I'll still give it a go. Um, see what I think because I am a bit opposite of you. I like nostalgia. I'm all right with it. So, um, yeah, I'll check that out. I'll see. I'll see what's up. Rock on, rock on. Um, so, hey, I'll go. I'll go on this one. I'll lead off the music ones because music is, you know, I I, I feel strongly about music. So I'm going to go. We're going to start with a song that I am not particularly feeling this year. Again. Nothing necessarily against it. I've never been the biggest fan of it, but I just know that when it comes on right now, I'm like, eh, not today, please. And that is Jingle Bells. I just don't want to hear <laughs> Jingle Bells. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, the whole song, you, you can make the song 15 seconds 
It's just the same 15 seconds. Well, with a little bit of a, you know, refrain there, but it's like, I don't know, man, it's a simple song. It's, I, I don't hate it. I'm just not feeling it this year. That's a good one. That's a good one. How about you, Gary? You got any well, like that? Uh, you know, and this is, again, I'm loving the not feeling it language because I don't have the the visceral reaction to it that I have something I, you know, actually don't like. But what I learned about myself this year is that the surest way to get me to be not interested in something or to get irritated by something or annoyed or over it is to make it a thing on social media. And this year I was noticing more than ever Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Like, this is something that I I honestly, last year, if you'd asked me, I would have said, like, not my favorite, but I wouldn't tell you I hated it, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm still not going to say I hate it, but this year, more than ever, I just noticed this big run-up. Like, after around Halloween, it was like, Mariah Mariah Carey is coming. Like, it's, it's, oh, she's dusting it off. Oh, my God, her checks are going to start coming in. And, like, I mean, it's just, like, this event where now I'm irritated by it. Now it's, like, because you all have been talking about it, I'm over it. And so it's a little, I'm not going to say I hate it. I have nothing against Mariah Carey. It's great that she's a gazillionaire because of this stupid song. It's not, I'm, it's not even a bad song and she's a great singer, but I'm just exhausted by it. Yeah. Like I, I was exhausted by it by Thanksgiving because of all the run up. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a mill every year, at least $1 million every year she gets just off of that song. I bet at least, at least I, it's everywhere. That, that disheartens me so much because I just adore that song. Absolutely. I may have even mentioned it last year as one of my favorites, you know, so <laughs> to see it, getting now becoming part of like yeah social media overkill that's a real bummer well and this all falls in line people because last year gary and and this year talked about how much he loves or hates love actually and that song i think i believe debuted in that movie so it all makes sense it all runs together gary hates love actually he hates Mm -hmm. mariah carey yes wishes they all burn in hell (laughs) that's exactly what i'm saying and if you play back the past couple minutes you'll see that's exactly what i was saying no that is not at all what i'm saying and i don't i i'm it's not like if if keith had just said that santa baby was his favorite holiday song i would be deeply wounded I would really be offended. You know, I, I think I might even have to call the show short. But like, <laughs> I, I, it would be really troubling for me. Him saying that Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You is his favorite. I'm f- I get it. It's a great song. I just don't love the weird lemming social media thing. And yeah. I, that's why I totally appreciate what Keith has said. It's a bummer that they've now they've selected that. Because I feel like in past years, it was diehard. Past years, it was like, oh, guys, I'm going to watch my favorite Christmas movie this year. Do you know what it is? It's Die Hard. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's so annoying, you know, like, and they've moved past it. And now it's like, guys, you know what it's time for? No, 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 not the holidays. It's time for Mariah Carey's, you know, mega hit. I I just I don't want to hear it anymore because you're all talking about it. Yeah, totally. totally. Scott, you got any songs you're not feeling this year? No, man, I'm not a Scrooge like Gary is. I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so so uh, wow. let's let's 
let's switch it to ones that we are feeling. And I got two. Um, I have one that I have always liked that, again, was always, you know, kind of like, I think, Scrooge um, with with Gary. I could have named it last year. It was like number three. And it's a particular ver- And then I'm going to do a new one, which I found shortly. I found it like right around Christmas Day last year. And it's a staple already. Um, so for me, the one that I've always liked a lot is the version of Have Yourself a Very Little Chris- a, a Merry Little Christmas by Diana Krall. Um, it is on the original Jazz to the World, which was the, I think, second, third record in the very special Christmas series way back in the day. And so what I like about it is it's it's basically just her singing with like guitar chords. That's it. And so there is a certain type of jazz I like in a certain type of moment where it is quiet and you just feel the soul of the person singing and it is delightful. So I am really I am feeling that particular type of Christmas take in a lot of the songs where it's just a jazz singer or a really talented singer belting out something over a piano or over a guitar or with a guitar and a bass combo, just something really minimal where you can almost feel the air in the room in the performance, you know? So that is my conventional song where I like a particular version of it. Cause again, I think it's amazing. And, uh, and now let's get weird for the song. That is my true Christmas song of the year. And that is stripper Christmas summer weekend by Glore. <laughs> I didn't even know that that combination of words went together, but okay. This, this is why the late great Dave Brocky is one of the funniest subversive people in the world, in my opinion. Right? Like only only Dave Brocky with Gore could create a song called "Stripper Christmas Summer Weekend." <laughs> right? So anyway, I love that song to death. I, again, I found out about it maybe like. You know, you're just you're going through your playlist and you're updating your playlist and there's a great big world of music. So you have no idea what's come out. And that thing came out a while ago, obviously, because Dave Brocky was alive. But mm, that is just the chef's kiss of Christmas classics. (laughs) And I love it so much. Very nice. (laughs) Uh, Gary, what what are you feeling? You feeling anything this year? Yes. Well, uh, you know, and now I had to feel less bad. I had a two-way tie and I feel less bad since you picked two. Uh, I'm, I'm like Scott, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I feel a lot of affection towards nostalgia and this year, especially it's, I can't explain it, but for some reason, little drummer boy has just been stuck in my head and just feels very Christmassy to me. And like, that's something I, you know, it was probably like, it was, piped in over the loudspeaker when I was in school, you know, and now it's just like, yeah, I think I want to hear that on the playlist this, this, this uh, holiday season. But then on the other end of the spectrum, just for something weirder and more modern, uh, Annie Lennox's God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, which if you've not heard it, I encourage people to just at least go, you don't even have to listen to it, mute it, watch the video on YouTube. It is the most bizarre insane pagan nonsense video you've ever seen in your life it makes no sense it's it's weird it's like midsummer weird and not only that she belts it out in a way that only any lennox can like with full full gusto and it's just it's kind of rocky it's weird it's punky it's strange the video, as I mentioned, is like a weird uh, mushroom trip. It's fantastic. So, like, I, those are the two competing poles this year. I've got Little Drummer Boy on one side and Annie Lennox on the other. 
I mean, there you go. So, Scott, how about you, man? I got one. And this yeah, is in line with uh, you, Keith, in a different kind of way. It is Smashing Pumpkins Christmas Time, which reappeared in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Hmm. And I remember this came out in 1997. And I remember hearing it and, and loving Smashing Pumpkins and going, this is whack. I don't like it. And I love Christmas and I love Smashing Pumpkins and I did not enjoy it. But then hearing it again in the Gardens of Galaxy special, I was like, oh, shit. I forgot this song fucking existed. And I remember just listening to it going, this is awesome. I fucking enjoy this. So, yeah, that's that's the song. That's my new song for the year or the song of this year, which I'm really feeling. Um, didn't feel it back in its original release date, but I'm really enjoying it now. Nice. Man can never stand in the same river twice, man. That's right. Because yeah. uh, I want to give because he was peeing the first time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> He's busy repeating himself. I get it. Um, okay, one one quick honorable mention, which I just thought of too. If you have not heard The Eight Days of Hanukkah by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, it is fantastic. Fantastic. So I'm writing it down. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I, uh, hopefully people out there it was like you had me at sharon jones and the dab kings they did a holiday record like 10 years ago and that that song is also very high on my rotation right now fantastic fantastic so anyway um hey we did it we got through the holiday special and uh gary you got anything you want to say before we sign off for this episode yeah okay well first of all 22 ounces of eight percent beer that's that's enough for me by the way i thought you were gonna just say for the record shit <laughs> but actually okay, i'm ready the, for the next one i'm ready for the next one as well we're going we're going hard in the paint baby i'm going on i'm going on to the next one but that that was plenty like i'm feeling good right now and it was actually very good i liked it i preferred it greatly to the bobka which i had last year so that's mm-hmm. that's very good okay so i want to implement this is a new tradition for every episode not just a christmas one i'd really like it by the end of the episode if we can remember to rate these beers so like why don't we go one out of ten how oh, are you feeling? Yeah, about this I like beer? it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I would like. I'm ready to give a one to ten. Keith, what are you doing? Yeah, go. I mean, go ahead, Gary. You're the guest of honor. Rank oh first. my, one to ten. Um, you know when it was ice cold out of the fridge, I'm gonna give it a solid seven point five. Which I don't know if that sounds low to people. To me, five is very average. So it's a good. It's a very good, like respectable. I've had far better beers, but I've had a lot of worse beers. So like, it's good. It's solid. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm an eight and a half. I I, I really really like it, um, and I think it's the kind of thing where I'm tempted to rate it higher, actually, but I also think that it's almost. It's kind of like listening to music, right? You hear a song and you're like, dude, this song's a banger, but you don't want to make it a 10 yet. It's got to earn that. It's got to it's got to make its way up over time. So honestly, something that's an eight and a half or a nine right out of the gate, that's about as good as I can do because you got to earn that final point over time through like repeated drinkings, you know? So yeah, man, I'm going to go eight and a half. I really liked it. I'm going to go right in between you guys. I'm going to go eight. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Honestly, I... It's not much of a twist if you if if you know what eight eight point two five eight point two five I'll say because <laughs> I really do enjoy it. I really it, it went down smooth. It's very like for the darkness of this beer. It's a stout. It went down smooth. It went down smoother than a lot of stouts. 
And the price point, you cannot fucking beat. Three ninety nine for 22 ounces of this stout? It's fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah. No, changed it. 8.5. I'm with Keith. 8.5. Whoa. Yeah, I, I would that. actually, yeah, bang for the buck, it might be the best bang for the buck out there. You know, yeah, in terms of value, I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. Yeah, like, I mean, that's $4 for however a pint and six ounces or whatever it is. Value, 10 out of 10. It's yeah. it, dude, it's it's the in and out of stouts. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like in it again, everybody, everybody always likes making a habit of saying, well, in and out's not as good as this place or that place or that place. Yeah, how much are they? How much is that burger compared to in and out? You can get a goddamn meal for nine bucks at in and out. And you, first of all, I don't think some of the other places are better, but even if they are, you've already won the argument for in and out by comparing it to a higher grade burger. You know, like in and out is competing with McDonald's and Burger King party people. I don't know if you're if you're only implying it or this is just coincidence, but this feels like such a Shake Shack versus in and out debate right now. This is like basically that's the perfect example. I'm I'm not. I don't know. See, I I fucking love Shake Shack. So yeah, but Shake Shack is exactly what you're talking about. Yes, exactly. Not a drive. It's twice as much. It's It's a restaurant. It's a restaurant beer. You yeah, sit down it, and you have that. You don't, there's no drive through available for Shake Shack. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So, hey, that's, that's a, that's a Christmas tradition to talk about burger chains, or at least we can make it one if we do it again next year. So, uh, so Gary, what are your, what are your socials, man? Uh, shout it out. Great. Uh, so thanks again for having me. And I, I hope this is just our Christmas tradition forever, but um, I am on Instagram, Dinosaurs versus Marsbots, Dinosaurs vs. Marsbots. I'm also on YouTube. I do a weekly stream uh, right now when I'm in drawing mode, kind of talk about how the week is going, where I'm at. It's just under my name, Gary Hodges, H-O-D-G-E-S. Uh, you can find me in either one of those places. Either one of those places has links to all the other places, whether it's my Etsy shop or anything else. So find me, uh, check out my book, maybe even order it, who knows? And I'll do a I'll do a catch all as well, just like Gary mm-hmm. did there. Yeah. Uh, at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S E O T T L O S T, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. If you want to follow my social medias, I do a lot of stories mostly. Um, if I'm posting art, those are always always in my normal posts, but uh, lots of stories. And uh, you can get my books at accidentalaliens.com. Second shift, minimum wage superheroes, wanders of Melisanda, anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans, all at accidentalaliens.com. For me, you can follow me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. I also have at Kadoja Kaiju. That's one word, but I post on Keith underscore Invader far more often, and it's far more inclusive. Um, And then in terms of websites, you can go to KeithRFoster.com. There is stuff on my properties, and you can order my books there. So, hey, there's still probably time or at least really close to it. And if there's not, who cares, man? The holidays can be all year round. Go to our sites, grab some books, grab them for yourself, grab them for friends. They make a great gift year round and you're rocking indie comics. What could be cooler? So with that, oh, hey, we'll make it nice and easy. Five fucking stars, okay? We were we were verified on Spotify as the five star fucking experience. And that's thanks to listeners out there that were rating us the correct rating of five stars. But after however many ratings, we came out 4.7. And guess what? That rounds up to five. We are the verified five-star motherfucking podcast experience. So go throw your five stars on the fire and make it that much more clear. Um, And you can do it on Spotify or you can do it on Apple Podcasts. 
And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, any other topics that you want us to broach on the podcast, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us all of that stuff over there, what you think of the pod, what you think of Gary when he comes on and how he's highly enjoyable. All of those things, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Please, please shout out how much you like Love Actually, too. I want people to go to war with Gary on this, if possible. Look, just (laughs) for the record, everybody, one last time, Love Actually is garbage. And anyone who likes it is garbage. And not only that, people who order sides of ranch, unless it's with a jack-in-the-box taco, which I'll allow. Okay, thank you. Ranch in all circumstances except Jack in the Box Taco. That's the only exception. According to Gary. According to Gary, Gary, Gary I, I grew up in Texas, man. I live on ranch. So, uh, all right. Until next year, guys, but more importantly, until next week, where we are going to talk about our year-end favorites. Please hang out with us again and uh, and find out what we liked. So until next week, guys, we'll see you. Yeah, yeah.